If you're interested in learning how I launched Zim Excellence, then you're in luck. Sign up for my podcast workshop and learn how it's easier and more affordable than ever to start a podcast. Also, grab yourself a copy of my podcast resource guide, which covers industry terminology, suggested tech setup, in addition to countless free online resources to support your podcast journey. Just head to wongai.com forward slash podcast creation. That's wongai.com forward slash podcast creation. The link will also be down in the show notes. Now, let's start the show. Yeah, welcome to the party. Hello, Makadini Salibonani. My name is Wongai, and you're listening to Zim Excellence, a weekly celebration of Zimbabwe's change makers and trailblazers. So here's the secret, y'all. Zimbabweans are actually dope AF, and it's just time that we recognize it. So grab yourself a plate of sadza and grab that stony ginger beer and let the party begin. Welcome to another episode of Zim Excellence. Today, my guest is a mother, mentor, business graduate, and founder of Silky Bee Skincare. As featured in Harper's Bazaar, the skincare company formulates products that are safe for babies with eczema and dry skin conditions. Aside from being a business graduate with over 10 years of healthcare regulation experience, she is also a dancer and member of the Zim Thrive Committee. However, out of them all, her most treasured gift is the gift of motherhood to two beautiful girls, and we actually do have an, a special guest with us here today <laughs> who's, who's decided to tag along. So please welcome Nyasha Matanda. Thank you. And this is Zua Ray. I'm going to put her back. <laughs> That's Zua. So, yeah. for, the, for, the, for the listeners who can't see, because I only um, record audio so far, that she, she came by camera and she was looking hella gorgeous and ready for her close-up. She's fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I really, really appreciate it. I'm so happy that you're here. It's going to be a party. And speaking of, I have to get this out of the way because it's important that the listeners know. So besides both of us being fabulous, amazing Zimbabwean women, accomplished Zimbabwean women, um, we are both dancers. Mm -hmm. However, I feel like you're the dancer who does all the moves and the choreography and all, all the, the pop locking. But I'm the dancer who's at the function who's like, ooh, this is my song. This is my jam. And I run to the dance floor and I just do whatever I want to do. <laughs> so I, I, I felt it was important that I should share that. We're both dancers, but we're different. <laughs> I think there's a dancer locked in every single being. Yeah, I feel like I think especially being Zimbabweans, there are always these functions. So it's like you'll have those relatives being like, Amy, where are Mutambe? And they're like pushing the kids <laughs> to dance, even if they don't want to dance. My mom jokes and she's because I'm from the, the Spice Girl generation. Mm -hmm. I tend to age myself every episode. I don't know why I do this to myself. But yes, <laughs> I'm from the Spice Girls generation. And my mom was just like, yeah, you used to dance like a white girl. And I taught you how to dance. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I'm from the Spice Girls generation. <laughs> well, see... 
I still think it was still dancing. And I say if there's a there's a dancer locked in each and every single one of us, but it's specifically as Africans because it's be, it's part of our our history. It's part of how we used to pray, yeah. how we used to connect to God. So it's whatever way you're gonna do it, it's locked in there some way somehow. That is so true. I actually never thought of it that way. So thank you for that powerful reminder. Anyway, so first things first, I love to talk origin story with you because you are a Zim Excellence superhero and every superhero has their origin story. So I I know you now live in the United Kingdom. Where were you born? So I was born in Buyanehanda Hospital. Yes, I was born in Buyanehanda Hospital. <laughs> I was born in Buyanehanda Hospital and I... Legends only, y'all. Legends only. <laughs> so my parents um, actually met here in the UK. So they were here during uh, colonization um, and they were friends from back then. In fact, they used to raise money to... Um, towards the liberation struggle. They used to get together in committees and raise money towards the liberation struggle. So as soon as independence hit, they were like, we're out, we're out, we're going back. Um, and that's how I was made. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's where I grew I, I was born and I've been back and forth to the UK ever since. Okay, so how'd yeah. you get from being born in Mbuyanehanda Hospital, legends only, y'all, legends only, <laughs> to um, being a fabulous mentor, business graduate, mother supreme, and skincare CEO, fabulous mm. lady in the United Kingdom. How do we get from point A to point B? It's a long story, <laughs> but I'll try and I'll try and um give you a bit of a, a snapshot. But um, so as I explained, so my mum. Um, moved back and she became the first environmental health um, black female environmental health officer and she yes. actually inspected before they opened up Sam Levy's so she gave Sam Levy's the go ahead to open up and be fabulous and do what they need to do but she was like I said she was always back and forth for education but she decided to move back here um, when I was about 14 and so we moved back I mean obviously also, the economy in Zim wasn't the greatest at the time. I did my I did my my education, and then when it came to sort of choosing degrees and so forth, I did want to do something creative, but I'm African and you don't do that. So I ended up doing so I, I ended up doing an LLB with business degree, um, and and I went to London and did that. Uh, got a job. Got a job as, um, once I'd finished, uh, I couldn't find a, 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 a decent enough job, but I found myself in healthcare regulation. So I started with the osteopaths and I used to work in fitness to practice, kind of looking at um, cases where maybe par- uh, patients hadn't been treated fairly and investigations into practitioners who were a bit unscrupulous. So that's, yeah, that's how my experience started, started with the osteopaths and then I went to the nursing and midwifery council same thing to protecting the public from unscrupulous nurses and midwives and worked for NHS litigation for a bit and then now I work for the um regulator for hospitals um so independent hospitals and um NHS hospitals now when I had my first baby this this is like now more the 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 extra bits the the entrepreneurial (laughs) side it was always inbuilt because of my LLB with business degree. When I had my first baby, she had really bad eczema. And 
Uh, we'd taken her to the hospitals, took her to the GP. They gave emollients. They gave all, all the emollients under the sun. They weren't working until the doctor said to me, okay, I'm going to give her a steroid. And I was like, whoa. To a baby? Months. Right. Six months old. How is that going to work? I said to myself, there has to be something something else and I remember kind of reading up about sort of natural remedies and trying to think about implementing that into into her routine and what basically happened was because I'd I'd actually gone natural myself because I've been chemically straightening my hair for years and years and years and I'd I think a few years back I thought you know what I'm gonna learn how to do my hair YouTube is there everything's going on Shea Moisture is, is there. <laughs> I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> Me and Shea Moisture are going to do this. So I kind of looked at kind of, you know, the coconut oils and and I thought, okay, let me just start using this on her skin. Yeah, so that's when I just figured what works. You know, coconut oil is great for itchy skin. Shea butter is great for cell turnover. You know, uh, beeswax is great for, for kind of protecting the skin from any allergens. Putting that all together, I got my my first balm, which was the baby balm. I used to go to mum and baby groups and the other mums were asking, what do you use and so forth? But luckily, my mum had gotten me a book called How to Make Your Hobby a Business, something along those lines. Um, I have to look at it again. But it was basically detailing how you can't actually just give natural skincare, even as a present and stuff. If you make it in your kitchen, you can't just hand it out. So... I, you have to get it cosmetically tested. So I thought, oh, if I'm mm. going to get it cosmetically safety tested, I might as well make get, make my money back somehow. And I'll say, <laughs> I'm on maternity leave. I'm going to make this. And I've always wanted a business. Maybe this is it. So that's what I did. Got it cosmetically safety tested and turned created my, my business dream that I've always had. I've had it since I was 10. I was like, I want to be a business person because then I can do charitable stuff. So that was my thing. Yeah, that's how it started. And now the business is up and running. It's been up and running for about six years now. And then the dancing was has always been a thing that I've enjoyed doing. So I went to the um, Dominican convent, Harare, and I used to... Um, That's I, the school that I didn't get into. <laughs> and my father, who's a Catholic, was devastated. And my mom was like, no worries, she'll get into Arundel. And I got into Arundel. And I was and I and I was only there for two years and moved to China. Hey, take that. (laughs) Yeah, Compton was a little picky, wasn't it? Mm. I think it helped that that probably helped that I had a Scottish accent because I'd started school in the UK and I went there Uh and the headmistress was Scottish. So I was there, I was like, you know, Uh a bit of slight nepotism there. So that helped, you know. So I used to do ballet, but then obviously on the weekends at the parties, you know, you're there dancing casa casa and stuff like that, <laughs> dancing to you know to 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 rumba with the with with people and your mom and stuff like that. And I was so competitive then, and then it turned into, you know, at home it was that thing where as a teenager, if I was you know in a mood or whatever, I'll go upstairs, put on Destiny's Child, and be like singing. Yes. Or whatever else. Yes, obviously. And S Club 7, because why not? (laughs) 
See, it, beca- it became my my comfort. It became my release. It became my go to place. And then at uni, it was up in the club. I would be battling, <laughs> popping, locking, and doing performances here and there at variety shows. And then once I became a professional woman, it was obviously Friday night drinks, Saturday night in the club, or whatever. Same same thing. Same mo. And I was like, after I had my my daughter, and it was when I was going through a split with her father, and I started to I started having certain certain weekends or time when she was away, and I was like, what what is it that I enjoyed? It was became a healing thing because I was like, what were the things that I loved to do before? What were the things that I would you know that healing that in, in a child? Yeah. What is it that I love to do? What is it that comes naturally to me? And why am I not doing that as a career? It's so interesting you bring that up because I just finished up this 16-week mindset course, literally like changed my life, got in through a um like a diversity scholarship. So I did it for free. And we had like this one week where you had to reconnect back with your inner child and just like writing letters and forgiveness work and unworthiness stuff and meditations. And it's just so interesting that the stuff that you did as a child you eventually come back to as an adult, like the child just knows and, and the, the, yeah, the, the outside world and maybe parents and school or whatever, or just like society can push you away to say, no, don't go down that path. It's scary. It's uncertain. It's this, but then the child just knows. I want to head back to our Mm -hmm. holistic health kind of thing that we touched on. Yeah. So it's so interesting that you brought up, that you went on a hair journey and that kind of convinced you to be like, oh, let me actually start making my, like learn how to do hair and maybe make my own products. And that's what ended up helping out your child. So I actually feel particularly drawn to you because your skincare is natural. And y'all make this a drinking game in case we keep saying natural throughout (laughs) this whole conversation. (laughs) Anyway, so my own holistic health journey started in 2011 with my hair because um, I was relaxed since I was about three and I didn't know what my hair looked like. And I just come out of hospital and I just kind of had some downtime stumbled onto like the natural hair movement section of YouTube and just went down a whole rabbit hole of learning what lye does, sodium hydroxide and these different chemicals and, and the fact that hair straightening then comes from this idea of a slavery, like being as light as a brown paper bag or having a comb pass through your hair and then you'd be free, all of that stuff. And I remember after hair, it then took off and I started looking into what's in our makeup, what's in our skincare, and then basically any products I could use on my hair, teeth and skin. And I was keeping a diary. And as I learned about like different ingredients and how they affect me, especially my body and my, my hair history, it was just so illuminating. Like, Oh wait, why, why is this? And, and just seeing the correlation and like seeing also the science behind it. Like for instance, parabens in deodorant or just parabens in general and how they've linked that towards cancer or just hormone disrupting chemicals and all of that. So I, (laughs) you've already partially answered this, but I've, I wanted to ask like, you know, when did you first feel drawn towards natural products, holistic health, and also environmental sustainability? Because I believe like um, the packaging for your products is recyclable. 
which is amazing, especially because people forget because we're in like a million different pandemics, but we are still in a climate crisis. So please reduce, reuse and recycle if you can and if you can afford to. Probably my mid 20s. It was when I. She's still in her 20s, though, y'all. <laughs> like, that was we don't week. age ourselves on, on the show. I'm still in a teenager. Mid- She's in her 20s. <laughs> in my mid 20s last week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I similarly had the same, you know, sentiment uh, in, in terms of not knowing how to style my hair. And I remember when I started to get the new growth in. When, when you relax your hair, I'll just be sitting there and be like constantly touching it and almost falling in love with the new growth and thinking, oh, I got to straighten it now and I don't want to do it. Because it was like curly, right? It was yeah, like soft just, and curly. I literally right. did not know what my hair looked like until I started that journey. And everyone right. was like, what are you doing? You can do your hair. You can do braids. Right. Like, like there was this whole thing about if you go natural, it means you do braids or you wear wigs. And I'm like, what? Who said that? Don't need to do that. So that was when I started. So when I finally decided to, to actually take that natural journey, it was under literally echo the same sentiment of actually just taking my own identity back and getting to know who I am. And girl, I was getting burnt because I was like, you know, the burn when you just, I lost hair at the front of my head and it was like from braids, from how tight they would make them because they would take the teeny hairs and then put them into braids when they don't need to. They're baby hairs. Let them be babies (laughs) or just let them be short. And it was only, I think, between four or six months into my natural drink hair journey (laughs) that um, it started to grow back. And I would have like my ninis and different art, different aunts being like, Oh, you have hair there? That's, that's amazing. Because for mm. them, it's like, it's, it's gone. For most people, it was gone. Mm. And it's alopecia for life. That's it's just, it is what it is. You know, we lose our hair at the front and that's it. Pop a wig on and cover it up, you know, and keep going. So, um, yeah, but it's, it, my, my, in terms of, climate change and so forth I was always aware of that because my mom was an, like I said the first black female environmental health officer in Harare so even back home in Zim you know you'll see people like chucking stuff out of their their cars and my mom would be like What's that out of? do you know what I mean she'd be like yeah I can't believe it these people don't understand and she'll go and inspect places like Mbare and you know trying to raise awareness in terms of just the sewage systems and so mm. forth and you know pollution and just people ju- dumping things here there and everywhere I was always aware and alert with regards to that so moving to England it was just a continuation and then I think it peaked to a different level when obviously my my daughter uh at that time I I was living in London I mean London's very polluted the levels of pollution in London are, are very very high so in terms of just discovering her allergies and understanding what it was that was triggering them was it you know what was in the food what was in my detergents where I'm staying yes it's a flat but it's a building that's been split into three different flats so therefore there's loads of UV rays from everyone having a different internet provider little things like that you know and people kind of speaking about oh yeah I went to Zimbabwe and then my child's eczema went yeah because the the internet is one place and the garden is the other place and the child is outside most of the time so understanding all of that that return to Mm -hmm. nature 
And actually nurturing nature and nurturing our environment is where we need to go because, well, we've been been needing to go there. And it's just a continuation, like I said, from from my life, it's been a whole lifelong awareness. And it just literally peaked with with the birth of my, my first. I think for after that, after a while, I tended to, to actually start moving into the country. Now I live in a small village in Staffordshire, where at some point I lived in Essex near, so I live near farms and stuff where the air, you walk, you know, you, the air literally does not smell like pollution and it doesn't yeah. feel like you're suffocating as you're just like walking down the street and you can take a job without your eyes watering. Yeah. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you have a message you want to share with the world or you think, ooh, it could be fun to have my own talk show like one guy, getting started is easier than ever. Here at Zim Excellence, we use Buzzsprout, which is hands down the easiest, most affordable, and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Start for free and list your show on directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more within minutes. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping and teaching you to succeed. Just check out their YouTube videos. They are filled with tons of information. So join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Sign up today using the link in the show notes or go to wongai.com forward slash podcast creation and you'll get a $20 credit if you sign up for a paid plan. It also helps support the show. So go ahead, sign up for Buzzsprout and keep me posted on your new podcast. Now back to the show. Right. It makes it makes a huge difference. In New York, I live right by this big park and then there's like mm-hmm. the Hudson River and it's just like my happy place to be near trees and water and it yes. just makes me yes. so happy. So that's where my awareness <laughs> yeah. peaked was um after the birth of my daughter, but in mm-hmm. terms of understanding the environment and knowing about that because of my mother, I was always aware of it. I believe you use coconut oil, shea butter, peppermint, which is my favorite. And um, no, you don't use rosemary. For some reason, I'm putting that on you, but that's in my hair products. But like when you're sourcing the ingredients, like where are you sourcing them from? And do you have like good relationships with the people or the communities that you're getting them from? At the moment, I'm I'm quite a small business and I source locally. They they might have gotten some of the products from, especially if it's shea butter, they've gotten it from Ghana and so forth. But I source locally because then I can I can guarantee the integrity of my products because then it's certified for sort of UK standard, and also it's less transportation from sort of saying oh it's coming from all the way from Ghana to come to here. And yeah, so I have um, suppliers within the UK that I use. Anyway, so the products that I source, I, I use suppliers that are local, just in terms of mm-hmm. transportation and um, emissions and so forth. Then it, it keeps those down. My dream, obviously, would be to be able to start to to you know to have um, links within Africa and actually maybe production within Africa. So then again, you just keeping things local and but also creating jobs for disenfranchised people and so forth. So that's where I'm kind of looking at things and so forth and looking at my distribution line and and so forth. But yeah, 
sourcing is local because I want to guarantee uh, quality of the products and the standard of the products until I can obviously say I'm going into Ghana and I'm meeting wonderful women who make the shea butter or, you know, the coconut oil and so forth. And uh, I'm bringing it in myself the moment it's local. Yeah. How many times I say local? <laughs> <laughs> Drink. <laughs> did, did y'all hear local? <laughs> I said <And> local. We, <laughs> we endorse drinking water, people. Yes. Mbura. <laughs> Drink your water. <laughs> it's good for you. So early, please. Yes. <laughs> so earlier you, you were talking about how, you know, people would say their children's eczema disappeared as soon as they went to Zimbabwe because, you know, being outside is so crucial. I don't want to generalize this, but certain generations or like modern day living has had people kind of shunning indigenous practices or just like old family remedies that people know work you know it's always this like oh why would I do that when I can go into the pharmacy and take this thing or whatever right Mm -hmm. but it's and then people are shocked when you know it's appropriated and it turns into the latest fad and we're all doing it but it was like no it is something we've done I wanted to touch on the fact that I know that your mom then reminded you that what you were doing is what your grandmother did in Bulawayo right yeah yeah Yeah. so that day oh my gosh um it was that thing where obviously mom I think my mom would look at me like a, a bit of a freak blesser because <laughs> she was like because my grandmother's dead y'all <laughs> uh-huh. and she passed when I was five. Oh wow yeah so it's not like she sat me down and said my darling this is this is how we do it and this is this is how you make healing products and da, 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 da. and I, I have to say it was an act of God it was it was an act of divine and it's so humbling so I remember mom kind of giving me the book and, and, and show and, and telling me, oh yeah, so here's a book, have a read about how to turn your hobby into a business. I know you've always wanted to do some sort of business minded something, um, even though she never really approved in kind of being, she was very kind of academia, 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 but she was like, okay, you are in your business, here's the book, go read it, figure it out. And then she said to me, you know, this is what my mom used to do. She was, my mom was creative and she could sew, she could cook. She, you know, I, my mom had, my grandmother had 11 children. She was married for over 50 years and she was just that quintessential homemaker. And obviously just figuring out that it was a situation where somehow, some way beyond that gift is, has now translated and has come to me. And I now have a responsibility to delve into more of the knowledge and so forth. So my grandparents had farms um, in Gokwe, but they used to live in, in Pelandawa in, in, in Bulawayo. So they would travel to the farms and so forth and they had workers and everything, which was, I mean, which was quite different during colonization but somehow they did it so they'll get you know their produce from the farms and so forth and my grandmother would obviously come back home um make stuff and then they would have a farm shop within the within the township in Pilandaba and she would you know get obviously having used the produce from her farm and she would make soaps and and creams and so forth and and people just would go to her if there was if there were issues and you know she was big within 
you know, she was a woman, they call Mkadzwe Ruwadzana, that, you know, the, the women who wear the uniform in church and stuff like that. So she was all the way connected to God, all the way kind of, you know, blessed within her marriage and, and had loads of children. And yeah, that's just how she lived. So she's, you know, she pops up in dreams. And so on and so forth. So she makes love that. Yeah, she's she's definitely you know um, a guardian angel, uh, and and I'm 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 definitely appreciative of that of of her. But then finding out that it's it's I come from a long line of of healers in that sense, and um, obviously it's been demonized, hasn't it? Yeah. Um. So trying to accept that and trying to learn what that means for me, who I am, and how I will then carry on, and how how then I will teach my two little girls and whoever else if I have any more children their heritage and carry that line on. This idea of passing traditions across different generations, right? Which is beautiful. Which isn't like this thing that you set out to do it's just this thing that you then learned about I forget where I heard this from but I heard this thing that you know when you look back in your family history you then tend to find someone else who had similar gifts to you or who you're you're drawn to this idea of doing that ancestry work and cancelling like healing ancestral trauma and generational trauma because certain lessons or karmic lessons so then they come back again and again and i've just been so curious curious because a lot of people in our fam in my family are in the nursing industry in the uk and got some family in south africa and then my parents like my mom's an environmental lawyer my dad's a diplomat to my knowledge i am the first artist well the first not the last artist in my family but I'm like, there has to have been someone else. And who was this person? And how many generations ago was it? And which line was it on? Was it on both lines? I don't know. But I did learn my maternal, my paternal grandfather, who I never met. I think he died when my dad was in his 20s was really good with languages and I've always been really drawn to languages (laughs) so I I find that connection there and then my maternal grandfather was left-handed but then he was forced to write with his right and I'm left-handed right yeah they would have had their creative gifts built in and being being forced to write with the right hand is obviously stamping that out so I'm I'm curious. I'm like, who's the other actor? <laughs> like, you know, or like, because if we're talking like we're going back generations, actor wasn't a thing. It would have been the person who told the jokes or the stories right. or wrote the stories or whatever within the community and passed them down. So that was one thing that my mom, my mom was saying, was telling me about is that when they would go to the farm, they would all sit around the fire or whatever else and sit down and, you know, and my grandmother would tell them down stories, basically. So that would have been inbuilt within our, our culture as it is anyway. You know, you'd go to that older Mbuya or Sekuru or whatever, and they would tell you the stories. And that's what I'm saying. We need, that's what this podcast means to me. These are the nganos. Yeah. These are the stories. Um, because we don't sit down with our kids and kind of say, okay, come, come, darling, come. Come, let us sit down and I'll tell you a ngano. <laughs> and they're like, Mommy, what's a ngano? <laughs> right? We don't, yeah. 
We don't. I didn't even have my parents tell me Ngano. I think it was right. like when I went to, um, I guess y'all would call it junior school, when I went to primary school here in Zimbabwe, and then you're learning there's Tsumo and Ngano and right. something else. And I'm like, what are these things? It was in Shona class. Yes. And Mat then Mimikira. I come home with homework. Yes. Yeah, Matnimikira, which like as a word scared me. Yeah. <laughs> I always found felt so intimidated because Shona... So my par- my two Zimbabwean parents grew up speaking Shona to me, but I would s- reply back to them in English, in my British accent. My my accent used to be super duper, like British London posh. Like right. it confused people, confused right. black people, confused white people. They're like, where are you from? Why are you sound like that? Anyway, so I would reply back in English. And I actually did not know I was doing this until we moved to Beijing. And all my friends who I went to an international school were like, why is it that your parents talk to you in like a different language, but you reply back in English? And I'm like, wait, I do that? But anyway, to, to, to go back. So it was when I was in Shana class. Um, this was just like Shana class for everyone. But it, when I was at Arundel, I was in Shana L2 mm-hmm. because technically Shana is my third language because I learned, I sp- spoke English first mm-hmm. in the UK, learned French mm-hmm. and then like coming back here and then learning the Shana that I knew wasn't real Shana, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So it was like a whole thing for me. And I'd come home with my Shana homework and be like, what does this mean? I need help with things like these really obscure proverbs, like a monkey doesn't swing from a tree. It, this, this, like stuff that you can't even translate. You yeah. just kind of have to do it in your mind. Right. You can't put it in English. You kind of have to make sense of it right. in the language, which is like, you know, similar with French. You, you yeah. do that. And I had one teacher who wanted us to buy Kwayedza, which yes. is the Shana, <laughs> the Shana newspaper. Yes. And my mom would drive everywhere around this, this city and my dad and they'd be like, we cannot find this newspaper. Why does your teacher need <laughs> But it's, it's, we're probably going off a tangent here because it's me. That's what, that's what I do. But it's funny, we joke about this and mm. at, at the same time, like there is this serious conversation of mm. preserving these different indigenous languages, especially because I believe there are like 11 in the Zimbabwean constitution. And I was like, I thought there were only two, right. <laughs> like three. Right. I thought it was like English, Shana and Debele. It's like, no, there's Nau and there's this right. and the Venda. And yeah, this idea of like, we need to be preserving these languages mm. and Everything is in English, mm. which is good on one hand because it allows people from different tribes to communicate. But then on the other hand, it doesn't really help with learning these languages. I had this conversation with a, a former guest, well, a previous guest, Yewe Sibanda. Mm. She wrote the book, My First Book of Shona and Debele words. Right. And I was telling her when I moved over to Harare from London, this idea of, I had a lot of relatives and just like, just a lot of Zimbabweans coming to my parents were coming at me like, ha tauri Shona and this, 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 this. And we change as people every seven years. So around like seven, we're starting to make sense of how the world works, mm-hmm. like differences, whether it's gender or racism or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it was, very just clear to me that like oh I'm different and Mm -hmm. it's it's almost being perceived as a bad thing Mm -hmm. and because I'm constantly hearing Hatari Shana 
the way it was being said was almost like out of a place of shaming. Mm -hmm. And so then it made me, as that eight-year-old girl, just want to rebel and say, well, I don't want to learn this language anyway, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Mm Rather, but I love that we're coming into this beautiful time where we have these great resources to empower our children to learn Shona and Debele or any other language under the sun mm. in a way that's cool. That's like, oh, you're, this makes you unique. Mm-hmm. This like gives you the upper hand. And also just for the fun little thing of like, you can gossip with your family members in public. Mm. <laughs> you can cuss someone out and they won't know. Mm. Like, what are your thoughts on raising multicultural and multilingual children? And also knowing there's, you know, this idea of their first generation, technically, right? Yeah, They'd be yeah, like first, yeah, first, yeah, generation. first generation. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I, it weighs on me quite a bit. And my, my thing is I will just have to ensure that they, you know, they go home as, as, as much as I can possibly take them home and, and immerse them in the culture and the, and the, and, and the way of life and the language. Cause obviously kids pick up the language quite quickly. That's, that's what I'm mm-hmm. going to do. But even just this morning, um, obviously my, li- my little one would listen to sometimes we'll, I'll, I'll put, put on, put on um, YouTube and Coco Melon and obviously Coco Melon has nursery rhymes or sing along together. But today I was like looking and I was like, and I found, you know, same same sort of quality and everything I found nursery rhymes in Shona ones that I didn't even know myself yeah and I was like oh Oh, I love that (laughs) yeah I don't know any I'm learning so my six-year-old comes in and she was like oh I've never heard of this one and you know and I was like yeah and and I know she'll she's she gets these moments where she really wants to learn the language so I've got books in Shona I've got you know wherever I've I've seen books there's one Toko Vuga Vuga she's an ex-convent girl (sighs) Yeah, I, I, I um, the, from Sunrise, right? Yeah, Sunrise, yeah. yeah. So I've got Toko Toko Vuga, and then I've got another one, it's basic genre words, I think ladies here in the UK, so I've got that one. So my, my six-year-old learns, and she'll be like, Mommy, what does that mean? And what does this mean? And she'll be like, Mwana, Mwana, Mwana. <laughs> Shush, Mwana. <laughs> and Mwana's just looking up at her like, uh <laughs> I love that. Like I, I said this to you before, um, out, uh, before we were recording, yeah. that I am the adult version of your kids yeah. because <laughs> because even though I didn't have these like empowering resources that I'm talking about, my parents still did you know the best job that they could. Yeah. And like my mom, when she was dressing me, she'd be like Simoko and Kumbo and all of that. But like she tells me these stories of like the Shona I would speak where i would i would just be like so you know how pisa means hot right right <laughs> so i think maybe i i didn't want to like i wanted to touch the stove you know how kids are just like they get to that age i forget what age it is where they're just exploring and they want to like feel and touch and just all of the senses and just i want to understand this because they're right. so curious right. and i think my my nini who lived with us at the time wanted to make sure that I didn't touch the stove because I would burn myself. Mm. So she she would say, pizza, hot, like telling me like, it's hot, don't do it. Yeah. And so I then ended up just calling things pizza hot. <laughs> like there was, there was like hot was its own level. And then pizza hot is like the, the next level <laughs> until this day. Sometimes I like do it. I'm like, oh, it's pizza. And I'm like, wait, what are you saying? 
Like, I'll stop myself and I'm like, do you know you're saying hot, hot? <laughs> like, it's hot, hot. Mm. Yeah, my, my, yeah, my mom's like, you are a weird child. Yeah, <laughs> you are literally my yeah. daughters in the future. <laughs> do try and speak as much Shono, obviously, to them. And these are some of the things, obviously, with the, with their uh, developmental stages where you're speaking to the health visitors, they'll ask, you know, is there a second language because that might slow speech and da, 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 da. And it's all those things where you're like, oh, okay, so I must, you know, I'll just stick to English and then we'll, Shana will come later. <laughs> and, you know, that's kind of what I did with my first. With my second, I'm yeah. trying more and more to kind of just be like, okay, like, dude, we're just going to speak to you and Shana. And when mum comes around to help me and stuff like that, she she's there like, you know, speaking to in, in Shana and stuff. And like, you, you hear saying things like, oh, God. You know, and she knows that Gogo is Gogo. And both of them know that Gogo is Gogo. So, and yeah. my six-year-old, when they do different like show and tells, of like me and my Gogo did this, and and then you know the teachers are like Gogo, and so yeah, my Gogo is that is that your grandmother? No, it's my Gogo. <laughs> this is like <laughs> I love that we all have our words. There's like Yaya and Gogo and Abuela and yeah, yeah, grandmère, yeah, yeah. So I, I will try as much as possible. There's what helps us out. Obviously, there's books and there's cartoons coming out and there's things. And I'm just, I love that because growing up, there weren't black cartoons, were they on TV? We're watching things like Voltron. I don't know what area you're from, but I was watching things like Voltron and Captain Planet, and I did not really see any black faces on there. And I, you know, I love the fact that my my daughter can be like, "Mommy, she looks like me." You know, Jojo and Grand Grand, which is on BBC. She'd be like, "Oh my god." She looks like me, whereas now I'm starting to find, obviously find the, the Shona cartoons and stuff like that and the Shona um, nursery rhymes and stuff. And I'm just going to instill as much as I possibly can. That's all I can do and have the have that opening at home. So see, mom has, still has property in Zim and, you know, maybe maintain that and keep that and be able to go home and if not home, then South Africa, you know, and, and kind of keep some sort of indigenous language and identity going as much as possible. That's something I'm going to try. Yeah. The only black animation that comes to mind is Little Bill. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Little Bill. Yeah. But then the, but otherwise, as far as, because I also was on, um, what's it? CBBC, (laughs) the children's BBC growing up. I think there was like, Rasta rat or Rasta cat or something. Yes, which now I think about it may have been racist. (laughs) Rasta mouse. He was still on there. Yeah, I don't know if he's on there anymore, but he was on there with my six-year-old. Rasta mouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like at the time I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. He's like Jamaican. He skateboards. But now I'm like, why are we using the term Rasta? And why is he a mouse? Right. What are we trying to say? Right, <laughs> like, right, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, was it, was it racist? How have you been able to practice your culture and cultivate a sense of community, whether it's like Zimbabwean community or just like your community of mums mm. to support you or the community of, of like from the beauty industry and mm. the, beauty bloggers and all that stuff? Um, fun, fun fact. I actually, I was a hair blogger. Once, once upon a time. Yeah. And I'd I'd go to, what's that event? It was called like Beauty Something Live and it would happen during bank holiday. Yeah. I forget what it was called. Yeah. It was, um, I'll come back to that. Is it, it's not Shades of Beauty Live? Is it not? I can't remember. No, it was like, it was like Beauty and Hair Something Live. It was like, 
it was like a huge big expo and they'd and at the time i thought it was so great because like they had the hair people from america yes. <laughs> of course. Yeah. and yeah. then they also had local uk people yeah my community i've got a lot of communities a lot, a lot of little bits good for of, you girl bits of community and so zim thrive is one of my communities you know so sort of mm-hmm. Zim diasporans doing their best to try and, you know, do whatever whatever we can to either invest in Zimbabwe. You know, over the COVID period, money was raised to pay for nurses within Paranyatwa, um, supplies, to send supplies of um for COVID. In terms of the music industries, we've got some, you know, Zimbabwean music execs who work here in England who are working with artists and showcasing artists up and coming talent so we we just everywhere business they're the illuminati i'm joking <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> they're everywhere we, they're listening right now we, <laughs> we, <laughs> they're in my house i'm scared we've got oh, actress, go ahead girl <laughs> we've got actresses within you know we've got, um we've got actresses within within um zim thrive so that's that's a you know the wider community, but the people are in Dubai. Where they're in America, they're in Australia, they're in China, and and we find ways of corresponding and working together, all in the hopes of one day COVID allowing, doing the 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 month long festival and actually literally being on the ground in Zim and and collaborating and working and showcasing the talent that we have. You know we've got journalists within BBC and so we're just so that's one community. I'm on the arts team and. As I mentioned earlier with the dancing, when I eventually started going to ma- master classes and stuff in London, some of the dancers for choreographers for like, you know, Whiskey and so forth and Childish Gambino, Sherry Silva went to her master class and, you know, she was just like, just start. It doesn't matter how old you are, just dance, just put yourself on YouTube, put yourself out there. You don't know what will come of it if this is something that you've always wanted to do just do it and that's how I just started popping myself on Instagram and through doing that that's how I was called to the arts team for Zim Thrive that's how that worked um and then my community in terms of just being Zimbabwean I my mom having been here in the 70s she still has friends I've got loads of family like uh, her siblings are all um she's got quite a few siblings here so there's a massive community of cousins and family and fr- friends of the family from back then the people just that that have just stayed in touch and have become family for me and trying to another thing of like sort of the, the the maybe just the more local communities that you know that Zimbabwean shop that we go to and we get you know my daughter loves sadza so we'll go get sadza there and we'll go and get cream soda and 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 you know <laughs> love she loves that. yeah she loves it so she's like oh can i have sadza today and this that and the other and yeah so there's, there's there is still some sort of um identity and community for her and having loads of sort of cousins and friends of families children who are the same age who are Zimbabwean as well there's a lot of that understanding and then my uh natural skincare community is more so to sort of when I go to like I was saying sort of Shades of Beauty Live was the skincare community, the hair care community. I I sort of made my my friends there or made my fellow natural skincare entrepreneurs or makers and the I don't know if you've heard of Mauyu where they, they use I, yeah. 
I, so as I, you know, I'm a, I call myself a detective. People are like, you're a journalist. And I'm like, no, I don't use that label. I'm a detective. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I'm like scrolling through your little insty insty, yeah. um, to brainstorm some really good questions to ask you. I, I saw a picture of you guys together at, at an event and I was like, Oh, what is this? And then I started following them and I was like, Oh, cool. Um, hair care. Yeah. <laughs> I want to learn more about them. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm always really surprised about, you know, how much we're doing as Zimbabweans and how spread out we are. And, and I guess I'm redefining what it means to be Zimbabwean mm. and where Zimbabweans are allowed to show up. Mm. Like I'll blow my mind. I'll be like, wait, there's, there's a Zimbabwean surgeon. Mm. Oh, there's Zimbabwean making skincare. There's Zimbabwean hair care lines. There's a wine company. Like, mm. and that is what made me start this podcast mm. because I'm just like, there's so many of us doing so many amazing, great things and inspiring things. They don't even have to be at like the huge famous like highly recognized level it can even be you know very small indie but i would discuss this with other people or other zimbabweans and people would be like no i don't know about that or this or this and i'm like we need we need to find some sort of way mm. to showcase that and it's so interesting you know that you have these groups and initiatives like zim thrive or the team at maiden's way mm. and just there's there's a group on Instagram called Incorporate Zim who reached out to me. There's I forget, but like there's so much happening that I'm like it's it's a lot to keep track of, but it's great mm. that it's happening because everyone has their own audience, mm. but I just wanted something for myself to kind of mm. find a way to like you like you said before we started recording an archive. Mm. An archive of our stories mm. and also a, a way to show and record and a place like one place to go to to see representation right to be like oh i want to be inspired or oh i i want to see what's possible for me mm. i'm i'm waiting for the day that i find out there's a zimbabwean astronaut somewhere mm. <laughs> like i'm just waiting for that day mm. <laughs> i think yeah there's no limit now my friends, I hope you enjoyed part one, but before you go ahead and click play on part two, please, please, please go ahead, click that subscribe button, rate, review, and once you're done, meet me back for part two.